YouTube series has been designed for you to hear other people's experiences who have persevered in the most dire circumstances. I'm using HOPE as an acronym here to help you get inspired to keep going because I don't want you to give up. The stories you will listen to are told firsthand by people who have faced some incredibly frightful challenges and kept moving forward despite it all. You'll hear honest accounts of their physical, mental, and emotional states. They'll share advice on what to do and what not to do should you or a loved one find yourself in a similar situation. They'll want you to laugh with them. And most importantly, they'll share tips for building resiliency and how they got the strength to do it all. Today, I'm chatting about secrecy and shame with Holly Ruth Finnegan, writer and digital entrepreneur whose heart work is to help humans reconnect to their spirit through the power of breath, meditation, and self-love. Holly's debut memoir, Wholeheartedly, The One You Want to Find Is You, is heart-centered storytelling which helped to blow out a toxic torch of trauma that liberated her truth. Holly's a healer with her words, and through the power of authentic relating, vulnerable storytelling, and a great sense of humor, she's able to get people to see things from a higher point of view and remember why they came here. I'm most inspired by Holly's ability to lead groups through breathwork with a gentle invitation and a firm guidance for a very powerful experience. Holly's always been a bit ahead of the curve, asking questions like, What happens when you realize you've been living most of your life as a fake version of yourself? And where do you even start to unpack all the stories that aren't you so that you can begin again and work your way back to your authentic self? Listen in as Holly shares stories about her maternal lineage, the wounds they passed down to her and her sisters, and how she got herself back on the path of freedom once she got honest with herself and worked to repair the generational trauma. It's really wild. The breath work, just when I thought that I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep up with that, uh-huh, uh-huh. I was able to release it. Oh, I and it. I loved your teacher's voice in the background mm-hmm. and the rhythm of the music that was going along with it. How that was 20 minutes, I have no idea. 30 minutes, no idea, yeah. because it felt like five. Mm-hmm. I worked all the way up and I had a smile on my face the whole time. I love it. You're so gifted. Oh, I got you. I love that. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you were able to experience it through the recording. That's awesome. Yeah. So could you even imagine the intensity of being one-on-one? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's amazing. And that breath work, I did it this morning before we inspired by you. Because when you said you did it yesterday, I was like, you know what? I should probably do it this morning too. So I did it as well. Needed to get it through me. Just like a little, it's like, to me, it's like a shower for the mind. I'm like clear it's like that's how it feels like instead of a sound bath it's like a mind shower so i actually did it lying down and i know that you might have like sitting up and i said okay well you know i'll tell you whenever i was practicing with the david elliott style of breath yeah i did it every which way yeah like just lying down i tried it sitting up i tried it reclining i tried it on my side i did it every way that i possibly could for anyone that may need to do it in that way it works the same way every time yeah so i thought it's the breath i can do this lying down and then i'll do it again sitting up and i'll compare cool i have never done it laying down so thank you letting me know that that can uh, happen i will have to try that out very cool i will also say something i had um very, very interesting experience because when we first started yeah. and I had my right hand on my yeah. heart mm-hmm. and my left hand on my root chakra, yeah, I burst into tears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Burst into tears. There was, it, it was so cleansing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why it was happening, but I kind of knew why it was happening yeah and yeah. just and again yeah I, I needed to just get release all of those thoughts and just be with the emotion and just let it all go yes beautiful so mm. thank you for that thank you for that introduction and this is why it's so important this is why the message of shift is so important because uh-huh. i didn't really want to shift to a new style mm. 
Totally. I feel you. I feel you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Do you know, I remember when I saw you for the first time in Omega and I was standing behind you in the cafe. You were sitting down. You were writing. Of course, you had this long, white, gauzy, flowy dress on, wide-brimmed hat, legs off to the side. And right away, I said, she's, she's going to be in the training. I'm going to be getting to know her better because she's going to be in the training. And right away, I just said, this girl has a story. Oh, I love that. I just, I just knew it. And I think the neat thing about our chat is that I know nothing about Black Book. Mm-hmm. I've never been to Nantucket. Mm-hmm. My husband's family has a home on Cape Cod. Yeah. And so he's been spending time there since he was 14. I've been spending time there the summers there the last 20 years. Yeah. So I did have a little bit of schema for some of the things you were chatting about. Yeah. But having lived with you for 10 days. Yeah. Camp Omega. Camp Omega. I never would have guessed I was reading about the same person when I was reading your pages because you were so quiet. You were so reserved. And the whole time I was reading, I was saying, is this really my Omega sister? Like I, I, it was, it was really interesting. And I just, I just really appreciated everything you poured into the book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you know, there definitely is like a death at the end of part two of that person that you never got to meet. You know, there was very much there, there was a beginning, a middle and an end of that uh, fake version of myself that definitely uh, left my body as, as we chatted about um, through these heart openings, literally through being like cracked open, as I know we're going to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It, that became very apparent. Like with this book is first of all, and wholeheartedly is the title. It's an incredible work of art. And the the title attracted me right away. I just thought, oh, that is so lovely. The image, I'd love to know who designed the image because the graphic is just, it just draws you right in. And then it's really not until you start reading the book that you realize that each graphic has to do with a chapter in the book. And I found myself that as I was reading, I kept going back to the front cover to, to find it and going back to the front cover to find it. Who designed that? Whose idea was that? So I take a lot of love and um, appreciation for beauty. And I have worked with an amazing strategist. Her name is Jasmine Takanikos. She has something called Brand Human. She's based out of Brooklyn. I met her in 2015. And in the book, she's known as mentor under the matriarchy. So yeah, so Jasmine and her uh, partner, uh, his name uh, is Mike, and they had a company together called Candor. And at that time, they were co-collaborating on Jasmine being a lot of like the visionary and a lot of the brains around branding and bringing something to life, uh, this brand human concept. And then Mike is an amazing designer. He's an incredible um, curator of bringing images to life. And so between the two of their amazing brains, Michael Malloy and Jasmine Takanikos, over the course of a year, we created all of these iconographies to go alongside with the chapters of the book and the cover. So it was a true labor of love and an investment. Honestly, you know, when I thought about this, how am I going to do this? How am I going to put this out into the world? I wanted when people, you know, they always say like, oh, don't judge a book by its cover. But, you know, we know how the world works out there. Okay. They do. They look at a cover and it, you know, it speaks to them. And this, this felt like the most authentic version of my story in a cover. And also, I don't know about you, Jennifer, but I grew up collaging. I grew up, all I did was just like take sassy 17 and YM magazines and just like cut out everything and like collage this life. So this cover is also like a collage in that sense. So that's what we were really focusing on. It's so beautiful. You you first read the title wholeheartedly, the image grabs you, and then your subtitle, the one you want to find 
is you. And I thought, oh my God, that is so powerful. And then your eyes keep going down the front cover and you see this beautiful golden thread of a treasure hunt to the self. Mm -hmm. What an invitation. It was such an invitation. And I felt such peace by reading that. And I could not get a date with this book fast enough. I mean, if you look at this, first of all, it's very heavy too, which I think is very symbolic of the material that's in it, right? I tell you, when I first picked it up, I was like, what are my shipping methods? What am I doing? This was not very well thought out. But, you know, one of the things that was super important for me was self-publishing. So the treasure hunter self-publishing, literally. And I also really, like I said, the beauty of the cover matching the beauty inside of the book. So I worked with a local uh, publishing, um, you know, it's like a, a printing company in Canton, Mass, who I love, my friend Mark uh, of Spectrum Print Plus. And I really wanted to print local and use everything, even though the first time I tell you when I showed this book to a very very smart guy who had worked in the publishing field for a long time. He was like, this is a terrible idea. Um, one, it's like, you know, I, I can't read this thing. What are you saying? Uh, I don't even know what's a treasure hunt itself. I don't get it. And then he was like, and also like you're printing in color. That's a terrible idea. I hope you are sourcing in China. I mean, that's the only way it's going to work. And all of these things, which were, again, he wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad advice per se. It's just the advice that maybe the general public might give you on publishing a book to do it most cost effective. But for me, it's never been about the money, as uh, as one of my dear friends here on Nantucket says, they're like, is Holly just hardwired not to make money? And I just, it's not, you know, this is, this book, like, kind of is a reflection of who I am from the inside out. And that's priceless. You know, I can't really put a dollar amount on that. So self-publishing it, putting it all in a very high quality and high gloss format, and then also really having it when it reaches somebody's hands to feel like, you know, I know you're a teacher, Jennifer, but it really is the teachings in there. So there's a lot of, a lot of my lifetimes of work, I feel that live there. Without a doubt. And that's why I began saying this book is a work of art. Your memoir has become my notebook. And I don't know that you can actually see it, but this book looks like it has been through a semester of <laughs> American contemporary literature class because I was a literature major and I have dog-eared pages. Things are highlighted, pen, pencil, the the, the spine. You could barely read the, the title on the spine. And it's been two weeks. I thought I would read this in a week. Yeah. And I suppose somebody who wanted to just see what you had to say would read it in a week. But I needed to honor what was in here and I needed to honor yourself. I wanted to honor myself and I really paid attention and answered the questions that were at the end of each chapter. And sometimes it was like, yep, yeah, I'm good with that. I got that. I'm all set. But then um, some really stopped me in my tracks and I'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. I mean, the fact that you just said paying attention, one of the things we were chatting about beforehand is kind of uh, a lot of the internet, right? And like, we're going to talk about the internet because we're using it right now and this amazing platform to connect to each other and create this podcast through the wild, wild world of the WWW's World Wide Web and the internet. One of the things that, you know, you and I chatted about a little beforehand is like, what do I really want people to understand through the internet as we're using it and the internet, the heart going back into the self is where are you paying attention to things? Really? Like that's your ultimate currency. People think it's money, right? I just go back to that as Holly hardwire not to make money. No, that's like, that's not the currency I ch exchange with. My currency is paying attention. And when we realize that, that that's our most valuable currency, you know, you paying attention to my book for two weeks, there's no dollar amount on that for me. The 39.50 of the book, whatever. I mean, that's, that's a nice exchange, but you actually taking the time to pay attention to my book, like what? Like that is like the ultimate dream come true. So thank you for, for the attention you paid to it. Of course, it's, it's, it's just hard not to because the invitation is there and you're either going to choose to do the work or not choose to do the work. Truth. But after seeing how you came out on the other side and all of the work that you've had to do um, and how you've 
how you continue down that healing journey. It's just so inspirational. The book can actually um, be used as an oracle of sorts, because I know you have these beautiful oracle cards that yeah. came out of this project, mm-hmm. but the book could really be an oracle as well. A reader could open up to any page whatsoever, and the message that the reader is meant to receive is going to be there on the pages for them. I know that you wrote this book with divine guidance and guidance from your mom, yeah. who is no longer here. Yeah. You start the book with an introduction of your mom, and it's 2014. You're walking into her room, and you see her sitting up in the hospital bed. You hardly recognize her, but you have this lovely, sweet, and short exchange with your mom. Mm. And then part one begins. And you hop us back nine years to the beach in Nantucket, and it's 2005. I was curious to know why it was important for you to open the book with that image of and the conversation with your mom. Yeah. yeah. So those, uh, I believe in this treasure hunt to the self, there are very, very important clues for us to tune into. One of them is as our parents are passing, when they pass, if they pass before us, you know, there's a lot of variables there. But for me and for my mother, she was passing before I would be passing over. And her last words were the beginning of the treasure hunt of this book, right? Her last words were, Holly, did you write something? Don't worry, you will. And this idea around, did you write something? Or, you know, there's two two ways of looking at that, W-R-I-T-E. Did I write something? And as a writer, as I was also an English journalism major in college, writing has always been my my form of art. But there was also this other thing that came super clear to me over the 10 years of writing this book, that it was write, like R-I-G-H-T. Did you write something? Did you write a wrong? And so that story alongside my sisters and myself became the treasure hunt to write the thing that our mother was not able to do on this earth's plane or was maybe divinely said that wasn't for her to do. It was for us to do. So that began the treasure hunt. And then, like you said, I switch right over from how the story begins into the dreamer, right? Then I take you, okay, so where do we begin? The book is set up from 21 guideposts that lead to chapter 22, the awakening. Well, chapter one is the dreamer. So, you know, live in the dream. That's what I was just telling everybody I was doing all the time. You know, look at me. I'm a bartender on Nantucket. I'm traveling the world in the wintertime and living it up in the summertime. I'm living the dream. Like, that's what I was saying. But as you know, as this story unfolds, like it was actually kind of a nightmare. I don't like look back at this scary circus of something that I had created for myself here on this island, which so many from the outside looking in thought it looked like a dream. And I was saying that to them. But in fact, I was very much asleep to what was really going on in the world. And honestly, really what was asleep within myself, which was my connection to my heart. Because I know that throughout this beautiful book, you had to relive the trauma of sexual abuse, rape, more recently, a heart surgery. I know my skin was really crawling at the part. You know, it was one of those times when you get to the book and you're reading the words and then you've got this sub dialogue saying, oh, please, oh, please, please, no, 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 please, Mm -hmm. no, no. But it really was. When I was reading about you from the backseat of the car, and being told by your mom's second husband that you had to crack the egg on his head and then run the fingers down the back of him before he allowed you to get out of the car. Um, ugh, my skin was just crawling. And then again, you take us to a later spot where you're much older now, but you, you're mm-hmm. waking up in pain and you're in a strange place and you're in a strange room and there's a stranger's arm around you. And again, you knew exactly what happened without knowing what happened. Even back then you were so intuitive. Yeah. You knew it wasn't right. You knew it wasn't safe, but you felt it. Mm-hmm. 
when we go back, I know you and I have done a lot of sacral work. Our, you know, our connection at Omega was a lot around the sacral chakra, the womb space, the area of creativity and sexuality and sensuality, um, divine feminine, divine masculine, that area from which we feel, right? Like intuitively, we feel a certain way, just like as you were reading the book, you're like, oh, I feel like gross right now. What is that? I don't even have to say it. I just feel it. Well, the the combination between a sacral chakra that is, you know, not not maybe functioning at its highest vibration combined with a throat chakra that at the age of nine, when a throat chakra is formed between the ages of eight and 12, uh, at nine, I was told to keep secrets. So my throat was shut down. So I didn't know how to like speak upon, especially around sexual trauma and things that were, let's say, um, right from wrong and knowing at a young age, like my sister Sana did as well. My sister Christina did as well, but we didn't have the language around it because we were told to keep secrets around sexual trauma, whether it was a molestation or later on in my experience, a rape, just ways in which that I had a a dormant throat chakra. I had to open that throat chakra up. I had to let some things out. And as you know, reading further into the book and for those that will get it, it ties back through the womb. So it's not just my womb and how that sacral chakra is focused for me, but also my mother's womb and then my grandmother's womb. And then especially my great grandmother's womb, because when we look where the real womb wound is, it was three generations up from me. It wasn't mine. It wasn't my mother's. It wasn't her mother's. It was my great grandmother who had a lot of, um, had a lot of shame and guilt. And it was just getting passed down because it was not being talked about. And, you know, the other thing in the book, I talk a lot about generations, you know, what, what year were you born, Jennifer? 1967. Okay, perfect. So you're like a, you're, you're like the Gen X girls, right? You know, so like, okay, so I, I'm 1983. So that makes me like kind of a millennial and elder millennial, as they say, but it's also, it's a zenial. They say people between the ages of, uh, born between 75 and 85 are these zenials. They're half Gen X and they're half millennial. They can really relate to both. Um, our parents, generally speaking, might have been from the baby boomer staging from, you know, 1946 to 1963. But What's really interesting is that our great grandparents at this point are oftentimes from what is known as the silent generation, which is like 1918 to 1942. They are the ones that were born into wars and depressions, and they are the ones who were told to keep silent. Don't talk about this stuff. And when I tried to talk to my mother, uh, excuse me, my grandmother about this work that I was doing, and she was proud of me for getting it out there. But she said, you just have to understand, Holly, we didn't talk about this stuff. Like, that's just it. Not that we weren't even just allowed to not talk about these things. It was just, we didn't do that. Like, God bless your generation for doing it. Yeah, I really wanted to um, thank you for that because I really wanted to go a little bit deeper into generational trauma because one of the last letters to your mom really caused me to pause when I read it because it resonated so strongly with me. Mm. You really did the work by asking your mom questions and asking your grandmother questions. And in part three, I love the title, To Heal It Is To Feel It. And you share a story about Ami. Is that how you say your grandmother's name? Yeah, I love the name Ami. It sounds like mommy, but it means friend in French, right? Wouldn't it be just always so nice to think of our grandmothers like our friends? Yes, yeah, that's really lovely. And her grandmother, you know, was pregnant with her before marriage. So Ami's mom was pregnant with her before marriage, right? And that I think is where we get into that nice little tie-in, right? Of like, what does it mean to be pregnant before marriage in different generations? Because did you have a similar, was there something that we chatted about in your experience there? Yes, because that's the, that's the clarity piece that I wanted. Because I remember when you, um, that whole piece about her mother being pregnant with her before her marriage, you had said, what was the first, I remember you asked her, um, what was the first memory you have of her, of your mother? And she told you the first memory I have of my mother is of her telling me she hates me. And how old was she when she told that? She was eight, right? She hears from her mother, I hate you. And she's just forming her throat chakra, how to speak, right? 
So if we think of the dormant throat chakra constantly passed down, whether it was from a self-loathing from a mother's words or from told to keep sexual trauma, you know, quiet at the age of nine, we just keep passing this down. And as women, our throats are the most important for our truth or communication. It's our powerhouse. So, so what was it for you? For me, um, I was also expecting before my wedding, Steve and I were expecting our daughter before we were married and before we got married. And we were so excited about the baby. We were so excited about the pregnancy. And um, there was no shame at all. How could how could there be shame around a, a, a brand new life that's coming into the world? This is God saying, hey, guys, you need to get it together. So here's the baby. Here's a baby. So you can all live happily ever after. Here you go. You guys are supposed to be together. Let's move it on. But the shame of the elders around us was palpable. Yeah. You know, here it was, we were like excited and wanted to share and tell everybody, but you could tell that the elders around us were not as excited necessarily to share because they needed to kind of sit with it for a little bit and digest it a little bit because the marriage didn't happen first. Yeah. You know, there's supposed to be yeah. an order to the way these things happen. Uh-huh. And I just read that, that chapter just resonated with me so strongly. So mm. like I said, it is a treasure. You are um, sharing a treasure hunt to yourself and the reader is getting this amazing treasure hunt gift all along the way. You also taught me something um, about gnosis in part three. Mm-hmm. It's called the warrior. And you explain that it's the ability to know something by living through the experience. And I realized a lot of my own, in my own healing early on, people would say, how were you able to do this? How did you know to do that? And I didn't really know. It was really just a matter of me knowing without knowing how I knew. Mm-hmm. I just kind of chalked it up to divine timing. So yeah. this word gnosis was really new to me. Can mm-hmm. you explain? Like my, my question to you is, is gnosis and divine timing the same thing? Yeah. So gnosis, the, the first time that I had been taught gnosis was through a school of consciousness that had been opened up on Nantucket at the seemingly divine time, right? 2018, I'd had my heart surgery that January. And then that summer, there was a teacher named Michaela Grace. She came out here, uh, opened up this school of consciousness which was kind of like very avant-garde for Nantucket. Nantucket is a step back in time. So to on Main Street have this school of consciousness all of a sudden show up, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty interesting. And I was very open to this because I had just gotten back from Bali and I just had started my own real healing journey. And when she talked about gnosis, it, it, to, to not just to, it, it, it actually sensed stems back to one of my favorite quotes from the book, um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he has a quote in his book that says, it's one thing to study war and it's another to live the warrior's life. So the idea around studying war, you know, to know, kind of K-N-O-W, and then to live the warrior's life, gnosis and know like a G-N-O. That to me is all how we are in this world with our crown chakra being open as adults. We live and learn through experience. As my mentor Jasmine often says, you know, in the doing is the knowing. You you have this uh, deep understanding as I know that, you know, you're, uh, you are divinely guided. Everything is like kind of, I do believe that everything is ultimately set up in a certain way that makes life this beautiful treasure hunt to self. And if you can trust it a little, then every misstep or mistake or something that felt like a hard lesson to learn, there's, you know, there's no mistakes, there's only lessons. It takes you this uh, chance to realize like you can't just learn lessons, you have to experience lessons. I know that's a big part of this message on, on your just, you know, overall being, Jennifer. But, but to me, divine guidance and gnosis do go hand in hand. And it's why we're here on this earth. 
And in the beginning of part two, I come back and I talk about um, Suzanne Keating, who's another amazing uh, astrologist on the island who I've worked with for a long time. And she always says, you know, in the beginning of our sessions, uh, Earth is a school. We come here to learn lessons. Right. So here we are at the school of Earth. We're here in this, you know, home away from home here to learn lessons. And there are no mistakes there are only lessons. It, and a lesson will be repeated until it's learned. It's like, how many times do you need to learn the same lessons? How many times do you need to understand they're divinely guiding you to the next guidepost? So thank you for the, you know, reflection on Gnosis and divinely guided. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, and I think they are very much hand in hand that we have to live through experience and know that we are, there's a hand holding us the whole way. And I have come to find so much fun and entertainment in the trusting. <laughs> it's like, surprise me. And I just really enjoy it because I've really learned to embrace offering. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not a big manifester. I, I, um, you know, there's, I've got my own little thoughts around manifesting and how it, how I feel that it's more ego driven. It's almost like giving the universe a list of things that I want, mm. but there might be, you know, and I've, and I just thought, you know, that, and I, and I know the law of attraction and I know that manifesting is very much a real thing. I'm not disputing that. It's very real. It's very real. However, the divine has a bigger plan for us. And so my list of manifestations might be getting in the way of this greater plan. So when I get exciting news, when I get bad news, when I am stuck and I have absolutely no idea of what to do, if I'm worrying about my children, if I've got tension with anything in life, I just, I just offer it over. I sit and I get quiet. And I just say, divine, I am offering this over to you for my highest good, my highest, the highest good of all, and for my best health. You've brought this to me, and I am giving it right back to you. So please show me the, just show me my next step. What is my next step? I love it. And what do you find when you say that? It's a, I, I, first of all, I'd let it go. There's at there, there cannot be any attachment. So there's no attachment to the result. I can't say, and can you please make it work out for the best? No, because maybe working out for the best isn't the lesson, right? It is absolutely all about the lessons. I believe wholeheartedly, like you say, there are no mistakes. So now you just go back. Now, now you get up from your cushion and you put, you put the pillow away and you move on with your day. You don't say, Okay, that's taken care of. I'm just going to do my thing. No, now you continue to walk mindfully and you're paying attention to the little signs. You're paying attention to the little whispers because if you don't pay attention to the whispers, they become slaps in the face. Mm. And then they become getting knocked down by a truck because you didn't pay attention to the slap in the face. And just like we were talking about the word paying attention, very important in the beginning, the other word trust that you talked about, I have it twice in my book. I have it once in the chapter around exchange. Trust is an exchange, you know, I trust you, you trust me, and that's an exchange with each other. I trust God, God trusts me. Uh, But it's also trust is a heart word, like trust is very much a heart word as far as like to wholeheartedly to without a doubt trust yourself, your internet, your inner knowing, that gets back to this heart work. And I know on your podcast over the last couple of episodes, it's all been heart work conversation. It's really interesting. You're like seemingly like in your uh, evolution of your podcast is going a lot towards heart work, whether it was talking to somebody around breast cancer, which I believe has a lot to do with the heart, if we're thinking exactly where the breasts are located right around the heart. When we go back into talking about the givings of thing, giving like your heart is where you give from. And as women, we especially overgive a lot, you know, and we don't know how to receive as much as well. So coming back into heart work to me, if you look at the book, one of the, the biggest, you know, treasure hunt pieces on the cover of the book is the heart underneath everything, the actual heart and the heart chakra. They are hand in hand for me and trust intimacy, boundaries, love, that's all hard work to me. But really hard work is forgiveness. And when we really go back into like, what is the secret key 
on the treasure hunt to the truth. It's just forgiving everything and everyone, especially yourself. And when I was watching my mom's heart work and what she was putting out there, there was not a lot of self-forgiveness. And I'm not, I, I, I now know that that was a lot of what was following her around was the lack of self-forgiveness. Yeah. Because I know that that was one of my favorite parts of the story was that entanglement that you had between your heart literally being broken open. Was that at age 31, Holly? So I was 34. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, January 8th, 1818, 1818. And uh, that was my, yeah, my heart surgery. And I had, it was the symbolism of it is wild, right? I was basically cut open open like my you know they saw open your chest bone they put your ribs in your armpit they fix this hole in your heart right they repair it or replace it i was fortunate enough to have it repaired and during that time it was like as if everything that lived in my heart was released back into the universe and that healing i'm not saying like you know heart surgery is the new cleanse or anything like don't be going crazy with this stuff we can do our own heart surgeries in different ways it doesn't have to be uh doesn't have to be an actual physical manifestation of it but that feeling of i was healing my heart and then at the same time i was literally healing from a massive amount of grief that i had suppressed after my mom had passed yeah because uh, there were so many favorite pieces of your memoir that were my favorites like i loved being introduced to your mom and the sense of humor around the awkwardness of you having to share these stories with your dad who is alive and well. And I mean, I just was thinking, oh my God, could I ever say that to my father? Although I have to say at 55, the things that I do say to my parents now, you know, I never would have had the voice to say that to them when I was much younger. So, but I'm still not so sure that I'd be able to share those stories that you share with your dad. Um, I, the, the love and admiration for your sisters. And then also, you know, the love of the gray lady, which is Nantucket for you. Yes. My favorite, my favorite was definitely this heart opening that you had. It was just so symbolic. Thank you. And, you know, God bless my family. I mean, I had maybe given them a preview of life's coming attraction as to becoming kind of a well-known figure on Nantucket over the course of the years as I built up this blog and maybe what people would call like an early influencer on social media. I had all that. So maybe it gave them like a preview of life's coming attractions of what was going to happen as I was sharing everything about this gray lady. And then soon I'd be sharing everything about this lady. But my sisters are a huge, huge part of this. So thank you for sharing the love and adoration for them. Because as I say in the book, what happens to one of us happens to all of us. And so even if let's say sexual trauma happens to one of the three sisters, it happens to all three of us because we were all living with a child molester. And so what happened growing up is uh, I had a constant affirmation from people like, oh, if, if son is fine, my sister, if son is fine, then we're fine, you know, because it only happened to her. But as I got older, I realized as you grow up with sexual trauma in families, like, yes, sauna might be like, okay, on the outside, but like, Christina and I might be deeply suffering from this event. And my sisters and I, you know, had to really heal this together. And then we had to heal it on an outward level and to heal as adults with your quote, adult parent. I mean, that's not easy. It's easier to do when somebody's passed over because then I could have creative license to write whatever I wanted. But I mean, Jennifer, I had my sisters <laughs> right before I went to publish, my sisters said, um, you need to call dad, have a Zoom with dad and read him every single part in your book where he is. So he really knows what you're doing. And I was like, oh, God, fine. I'm publishing next week. So I need to do this now. So I had a Zoom with him like you and I are having. And I literally was like, OK, dad. Uh, I'm going to start reading. I have highlighted everything. So I start highlighting, reading these pages. And I'm like, okay, so I wrote about how like you and mom didn't love each other because you guys divorced and maybe sad. And then he's like, okay. I'm like, and then I wrote about how, you know, you and mom fought a lot and we listened to it all the time about everything. And that made me really sad. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, and then blah, 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 this and that. And then I was like, and then I wrote about how I masturbated in your pool for a whole summer. And it was really 
good, but awkward now that you're going to know that. And he was like, okay, wrap it up. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> so he was just, you know, as I went into it, I was like, then I wrote about how we healed. Then I wrote about how much you, you know, supported me during my heart surgery and you helped my healing. And like, you were really my, like my, my teacher, my nurse, everything for me. I wrote about healing with you and my, you know, then taking you on a spiritual awakening. Like, you know, it's so beautiful, but good God. I mean, by the end of that, he literally, and, you know, like I said, God bless my dad. He was like, listen, this is your story. Like, publish your story. This is not my story. This is your story. Like, and I, like, of course, you can publish it. I give you full permission. And I remember I can cry right now, you know, and I was like, really? You're really okay if I wrote all those things? He's like, yes, don't change anything. Publish it. So it was like, you know, it was such a healing process for us. We really got to heal together through this book. What a gift. Oh, yeah. Your sister, your sister brought justice to that molestation 30 years later. Yes. And, you know, actually right now, which is so perfect for this that we're talking is my sister, Christina, has a daughter named Hope. Okay. And I know we're on the Hope series right now here on your podcast. And my sister Sana's advocates for how to move through her actual um, process and how to have support and advocacies was through a organization called Hope for Justice. And so the combination of all this hope really like and actually sauna and i are also the godmothers of hope our our sister's daughter and so there's so much hope for us for what the next generation is going to have and be able to you know have more transparency and clarity and justice around quote wrongdoings that were maybe brushed under the rug 30 years ago it's you know it's exactly 30 years it's divine justice it's the saturn return it's 29 and a half years exactly to when the molestation happened to when when malcolm fogg my mom's second husband now went to jail so i'd love to talk about the how so people are going to be listening to this and they're going to say they're going to be agreeing and they may be in this situation but they're going to want to know how so what can you offer to those listening about having the voice and the courage and the strength to do the same thing? Yeah. You know, it's a full-on team effort. None of us get through this alone. You know, this is uh, the advocacy around yourself to start building up your team of supporters. That's what our sister Sana had to do. And first and foremost, next to Sana was my sister, Christina. In the book, I say my mom has gives us two words, right, about each one of us. My sister, Sana, she calls motivated and resilient. She calls me sunny and funny. But she calls my sister, Christina, good and strong. And Christina truly is the backbone of what happened to bring it to justice for Sana. Sana would do it. I'm sure she would. But Sana was pregnant with a son while she was going through all of this as well. So Christina was really her advocate, making sure that this continued the course and stayed the path and found sauna advocates. So first you need to find your Christina. That's basically what I'm saying. You got to, you got to find somebody who's really good and strong around you to help you through this. And then you yourself have to be motivated and resilient. You as a person, if you really want to bring something to justice like this, you have to be motivated intrinsically through the inside out and resilient to the fact that this takes a while. It's not an overnight process as well, but it can happen. And when you're in the time frame, as they like to construct it for this, 40 years is how old you are. Uh, 40 years, you know, is the, the limitation, statute of limitation for this. So Sana was 36 when she was going through this, you know, she was six years old when it happened. 30 years later is when she brought it into accountability. So as I circle it back to for any listeners out there, look up hope for justice, um, look up different advocacies for sexual trauma in your area for ways in which, especially for women, for support for that. And then also look up the legalities around your area of how how things go into justice and through court systems. It's different everywhere, but there are advocates and there are people who bring hope 
to it. And like I said, Christina was that for Sana. And I know there are sisters around the world that will be there for each other as well. Just like you and I saw through our Omega Circle, sitting around with a lot of people having those similar sexual trauma stories living within them. Thank you for that. You know, I also realized just to switch gears here a little bit and uh, bring some levity to the conversation. This is sunny and funny. Bring it back to sunny and funny. Let's go. We're going back to sunny and funny. And uh, (laughs) I don't, I don't know if anything is more um, funnier than um, the one commonality. I mean, we've got several, but it was so funny that throughout the book, I discovered that we do have so much in common. The first one being bunions. Thank you for giving me permission to even say that word because I hate even saying that word. You know, somebody told me in my childhood that I had the most ugliest feet they had ever seen. No, that stuck with me. It just stuck with me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm until now. I'm like, okay, I've, I've released it. Like I've, I've forgiven it and I've released it. I love my feet. My feet have taken me to so many places and they've helped me heal. But I just thought it was so funny that, um, you know, we're talking about a treasure hunt for the self. And that was one of the things that I've had to kind of get over in my life. And I just was, I cracked up every time you wrote it throughout the book. It was hysterical. My bestie, my dear friend, Kaylee, she's, uh, you know, she's bestie in the book. My like friend, since I was 12, she was like very cool. Right. Like when I met her in seventh grade, she had on the Doc Martens. And that's when I say, which I don't think my bunions could have <laughs> Like that feeling, like even in seventh grade, I was like, oh my God, I can't even wear these shoes and I'm 12, let alone yeah. like now you see, you know, when you'd see all those pointy boots, right? Yeah. The little pointy boots. I'm like, that would look like cruel and unusual punishment yeah. for my feet. They yeah. already have enough going on. No need to put them in pointy stilettos. Yeah. But I also think, you know, the thing with bunions is like, so many women have them. Like, yeah. I feel like it's so common. And I've had people say to me like before, like, oh, wow, those are huge budgets and i'm like could we we bring your could we bring your eyes up a little bit like could like i've had people just say to me do they just pointing to me do they hurt (laughs) i'm good i'm good so what were we talking about again? <laughs> no, it is so. And that is, the body is fascinating, you know, but for me, it wasn't the ugliness of my feet per se. It's when someone said that I sounded ugly. That was really, that was so hurtful for me. When I heard over the phone, some guy say, oh, this is Megan's cousin. She sounds ugly. Yes. And that feeling like you already know I'm ugly from a phone call. Like, how do you know that already from the voice? And then all of a sudden, what happened there? I've already shut down from telling secrets. I can't tell anybody anything. And now I've heard using my voice is ugly. Mm-hmm. So then it doubled down on that throat chakra, just like being totally shut down, which is what made me in the best things and worst things that happened to you made me a great writer, you know, because I was writing instead of speaking. That's right. And it's, and I don't think people, even though they hear it, I really don't think people understand the power of their words. I, I think there's nothing more false than that little rhyme we grew up in. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words but words will never hurt me or names will never hurt me. Yes, they will. I could fix a bone. Mm-hmm. I, I could put I could get stitches if if I get hit in the head with a rock. But those words, they they can last you a lifetime and that could be your life some people's life's life's work just trying to undo those words that were said we also love to start the day off connecting to ourselves before connecting with anyone else in meditation i just couldn't even imagine starting my day off without that that's just like a non-negotiable i make mm-hmm. my bed and then i take my last pillow and i pop it on the floor and i sit and i just whoo, i go right in twins Love it. Doing the same thing on a little island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's something else. I love that you keep your tell your, your phone out of your bedroom. I keep my phone off. I try to shut it off at 830. Of course, you know, uh, not always great around that time, but I do try to set 830 as a time for me. I, I like to shut it off, keep it in the kitchen, and I keep it out of my bedroom. Bedroom's a very, very sacred place. Um, you know, I've I've noticed you know, people are so disconnected and, um, 
even even our kids, like as parents, we really need to model things better for our children as a whole. I've got, as a teacher, I'll have parents tell me, oh no, there's uh, all kinds of boundaries around my child's phone. They have to hand it in. They've got to shut it off. But then I have an Instagram account for my classroom just for, just for, um, it's a private account and it's just for parents to see what's going on in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And, um, but meanwhile, if kids have cell phones, they can join as well. But I might have kids 11 o'clock at night, one o'clock at night, and I can see that they're responding or they're liking. But then at the same time, I've got parents telling me, oh, no, no, we have boundaries around our phone. And kids are just, people in general are so disconnected. That's one of the reasons why I've got the phone off and out of the bedroom. And nobody really understands that better than you, I think, because as a digital entrepreneur, you were connected 24-7. And that really even put quite a strain on some of your relationships as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the the internet chapter, um, I, my editor, okay, my editor who I found here on Nantucket, she's amazing. Her name is Tracy Letty. She is 82 years old, and she is brilliant. And she used to be a teacher at the middle school here on Nantucket. And she also used to teach mindfulness and meditation to the to the students, which I love. Meeting her was like coming back into uh, like being with an old sister of mine. And by old, I don't mean like in like age years, I mean like lifetimes of years that we've done this work together. And she told me when she was reading my book that the chapter seven of the internet was the one that she found most fascinating and also the scariest for the next generation because she didn't grow up obviously being part of what was probably more into the, you know, silent generation. They didn't grow up with this. They, they're like learning it now through the kids basically. And she's like, that's the most important chapter in your book for parents to read, to understand what you're mirroring back because what would happen, right? Like I have this. I have um, one of Christina's children, Ava, uh, my my first uh, niece. She's amazing, but she was always my model for what to do for kids on Nantucket, Ava Onak. She got recognized. Ava was in Nasara with her uh, father at a juice stand and someone came up to her and was like, oh my God, are you Ava Onak? And my my brother-in-law goes, well, she's four, so she doesn't know what that means, but Yes, she is Avonak. It was like one of those things that's so weird. And as Ava's now, God, she's going to be 11. She, it's now so interesting because the way that they look at phones and iPads, it's like I had an iPad or an iPhone in front of her face all the time. And then she would say to me like, oh, I want to be a YouTube star like my auntie is. I was like, YouTube? I don't use YouTube, but that's exactly, it's whatever it is. She's like, I want to be like you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Please don't. I am your cautionary tale. Don't be like me. But they're natural imitators. And like, you know, if we've got a phone in front of their face all the time, we're looking at their phone, we're posting their faces, their pictures. Now my sister Christina has such radical awareness around what the phones are. Like, we don't do that with Ava and Hope anymore. That's not normal back early on, maybe when there wasn't as much awareness around it. But now, you know, my sister, as we do, has a lot more boundaries. She doesn't even, my sister Christina doesn't even have Instagram on her phone anymore. And I think that's a great reflection for her children is also being that mirror. Like we talk about like the boundaries around it and even your mom doesn't have it. That's how much she cares about your mental health. That's wonderful because the parents are the leaders. The parents set the tone and they're the ones that teach the lessons. And a lot of the times we can't blame the kids for what's happening because they're watching their parents do it. But I really, you know, it's important for um, people to know it's the internet. I-N-N-E-R-N-E-T is that we're talking about here in chapter 21, because you, you speak so eloquently about the dichotomy of the internet and the internet. And I want to just read a little piece. It is from part three on page 237. And you say, my teacher told us that we can use this internet as a tool to gather. As long as we remember that our most important connection is to the one inside of us, the connection to our internet. Ah, there it is. The word I'd been seeking all these years. After a decade as a digital entrepreneur, I came full circle online to the truth, to own who we truly are. We have to embrace our shadow and get back to the root 
We have to inhale courage and exhale fear and do the work to heal our primal relationships. This is how we connect to our internet. I just thought it was so beautiful. And your teacher, your editor is so right. That is the piece that parents mm-hmm. need to read. I, I always have, 25 years in education, I always have the parents and the teachers and the students. They're always with me wherever I go because that's the reason why I do the work, right? Mm-hmm. And and thank you to mentioning my teacher, my my teacher with a capital T, right? Like my teacher, his name is Punu Singwasu. And it has been three and a half years since I've seen him, although we did do a lot of his spiritual awakening courses online. He lives in Bali. He works at um, a place called the Yoga Barn in Bali, which is just um, heaven on earth. And I get to go home to him uh, in on April 1st, which will be five years to the day to when I met him to gift him this book. Beautiful. So um, it's it's a full circle moment. And then I get to go and have a little training, advanced meditation teacher training with him for eight days. And then beautifully, as the divine is always handing us the guidance that we need, is that the ninth anniversary of my mother's passing, I don't say death, I don't believe in death. So the ninth anniversary of my mother's passing from this realm into the next is April 8th, which will be the last day of my teacher training with him this year. Unbelievable. I love those synchronicities. Me too. So fun. It's it's super. It's It really is. It, it is so, it, it, you're exactly right. It is just so much fun. Holly, why are there no pictures of mom in the book? Because especially when you started to, uh, you were asking your mom, I think it was, you were doing the Proust questionnaire from Vanity Fair and you had all of her answers in here and I was having so much fun reading them. And then she mentioned the little cleft in her chin and I'm like, okay, I want to see a picture of her. Okay. So we'll, we'll send, we'll, when we do the post on, on, you know, socials to send out this beautiful podcast together, I'll post the photo of my mother as it so that people can see it, you know, they really see it. Here's why. Thank you for asking that question because no one's asked me that yet about why there were no, there's so many images in this book to not have any photos of her. My mother was a very, very attractive woman to the point that I think that was what she thought was the best thing about her growing up because that's all she heard was just how pretty she was. And the thing is, is that I think it didn't benefit her in the long run because since everyone always just told her she was attractive, I don't know if a lot of people told her that she was intelligent. And I don't know if a lot of people really put any, you know, expectations or intentions on her to succeed because they were like, oh, she'll succeed because she's pretty. But that's as a woman, to have that be your currency at a young age, I think it got her into the state of, I got a man, I got a plan. Like, that's what you need. If your currency is just beauty, then you need a man to provide for you because if you're not a you know supermodel or something, how do you get paid for being pretty? To me, it was that, you know, as I watched it, it was you got paid by being somebody's wife, basically, and that you would, you know, be the pretty arm candy that they need. And then all of a sudden my mom was a single mom, right? At the age of 27 with three kids, and she was still really pretty, right? But she from the inside out was suffering immensely through many 12 years of cancer, basically. So the outside was so pretty, but the inside was riddled with stuck emotion. And that's why I believe in this first edition, the no image of her like that is that she's so many women. She's like so many women out there who had the pretty factor be the currency for them. And from the inside out is what she always told us what beauty was. And from the inside, my mother was riddled with pain. That was not necessarily what people would say was beautiful. Thank you for that. It makes total sense to me now. Why? (laughs) It makes total sense to me now. Yeah. Well, you know, you and I get to do this beautiful work to reflect on our parents and reflect on our next generation and get to be that middle man, middle woman in between, watching all the shadow, turning it all to gold, being the alchemist that we are, you know? It's like, I'm so, would I want my mom to come back right now? You know what? I don't know. Like, 
that's not it. That wasn't the way it was set out to play. Like she and I were set to work from different planes together. So like, let me acknowledge that I wouldn't my I don't have any regrets when it comes to my mother. If anything, what did she say? Like, you know, her will, like this was her will. Instead of leaving me money, she like left me this story, you know? So thanks for the story. I'm glad I get to pass it on and not make it what defines me anymore. So then what three pieces of advice would you give to anyone having to navigate their own treasure hunt back to the self with a capital S? Oh, I love it. Number one. What is my relationship with my mother? Number two, what is my relationship with my father? And number three, what is my relationship with my phone? Did you say my phone? Yes, because those are the three things that we hold hands with, apparently the longest in our life right now. And looking back into it, I believe there is a direct correlation to how much time people spend online or numbing through the screen to how their relationship is with their actual parents. That is unbelievable advice. The fact that the top three would be mom, dad, who have given us life, and then phone. Really, that's wild stuff. And Nobody wants to talk about it, though, Jen. Listen, I'll tell you. They'll talk about their mom-ish. They may talk about their dad-ish. You ask people what their relationship is like with their phone. You ask people what their screen time is. You ask people about how much time they spend on Instagram or social media. Those questions are so jarring because maybe you don't know the answers because you don't want to know. I know I didn't. When I found out, I was like, oh my God. What am I doing with my life? Why am I spending 12 of the 24 hours I have online, even if it's quote for business? Like, what what am I doing? Why am I in this like matrix all the time? I have to have boundaries with it. It's just, it's a non-negotiable. And you know, to that, Holly, I would add, buy a copy of your book because you will be guided through at the end of each chapter and with little questions that you could ask yourself and you could spend a very long time, a short amount or as long amount of time. And that's where a lot of the work is. So I remember on page um, 149, the light, one of the questions was, do you create space to connect to yourself? Yep. Yes. Intentionally, purposefully, every day, check it off. Yes, I do. Well, that was an easy one. Move on. And then I was like, do you know your parents' regrets? Whoa. I never even thought of that question, but I can't wait to ask them. Oh, so yeah. I want to, I want to find out what my parents' regrets are. Uh, another one. Do you know your grandmother's story? Mm. Wow. Well, well one, I grew, I grew up with one of them and I know she's got stories, but I don't necessarily know the ones in depth. But what I love about the breath work and what the breath can do for us is that I, do know my grandmother's stories whom I've never met and who passed when my mother was five years old because she comes to speak with me almost every time I breathe. I love it. Yeah, because they live within us. We're always with them. We were literally in their bellies. Like we already were formed. It wasn't necessarily through the language that we've learned through being out here. It was through a feeling, through an understanding. That's why it's all that sacral work. And I'll tell you this, as we end on, on this beautiful note of what was, I'm going into what is the next book, which is all grandmother energy and sacral energy. So that is the whole next book has the wholeheartedly is the title of all of the tril trilogy that I'm putting together. But this next one is called the queen of hearts. And it really goes back to our grandmothers because my grandmother pinky will be a hundred on Valentine's day of next year. And to me, the queen of hearts on Valentine's day to turn a hundred, there's a, there's a big story there that I look forward to unpacking for what it's done for me. And I'm uh, I'm excited that we can start, you know, talking about our grandmas in that way. So what's, what's your grandmother's name? The one that comes to you? What do you call her? Susanna. Susanna. Well, that's perfect because uh, that is my sister Sana's name. So Susanna, we're all connected. Sure are. Oh, and FYI, as we leave on this note, Anna 
is the grandmother of Jesus. Okay. No one ever talks about her. Anna was Mary's mother. Okay. So if Mary had such a divine womb that she could take out uh, divine Christ consciousness to birth that into the world, what womb did she come from? No one talks about it. Anna, what do we call most of our grandmothers? Nana, or as yours is Susanna. Anna lives in all of these grandmothers. So stay tuned is what I'm saying. Whatever your takeaway is from today's conversation, I hope that you make that this week's shift work. Answer some of the questions Holly nudges you to ask in her book, like, do you ever pretend that some things never happened? Or do you create space to connect with yourself? Those two are pretty easy, but how about this one? How is your relationship with your parents? And then there's my two favorites. Do you know your parents' regrets? And do you know your grandmother's stories? My hope for you is that you enjoy the process of answering these questions and also that you pick up your own copy of Holly's book and go on your own treasure hunt to the self. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I'm asking that you take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your reviews are super helpful for me and my work. And remember, it's not about being perfect. It's about being easy with the practice.